Hello, I'm Lindley Gooden. Welcome to Market Force Live's podcast, Navigating a Disrupted Industry Landscape, hosted in association with Anaplan. Now, market disruption is no longer a distant, abstract possibility. It's here, and many of us see it every single day. Whether it's a tech giant threatening to enter the market, or new regulation like the UK government's net zero commitment, or new technology, for example, a new wave of digital advancements changing the game, disruption across all industries is absolutely inevitable. But it's both a threat, yeah, and an opportunity. And today we'll be exploring ways to realize the opportunities by creating a competitive advantage through agility. So let's meet the people who'll be helping us to unlock the strategies that you can take away to become more agile through technology when it matters the most. First of all, Chris Baker. Hello, Chris. Hi there. Chris is the EMEA Managing Director at Anaplan. Now, he joined Anaplan in 2019 after six years as a customer in his time at Concur, now SAP Concur. Now, he's represented innovative West Coast US tech companies for much of his career, including Sun Microsystems and Microsoft, too. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Next up, we have Rob Cullen. Hello, Rob. Hi. Great to have you here. Rob is the lead partner of Deloitte's global technology, media, and telecommunications finance transformation practice. He has over 15 years of consulting experience and specializes in supporting CFOs and finance directors to improve their finance functions so that they ultimately meet their strategic needs to focus on media and telecoms clients. Great to have you with us, too. Thank you. So let's get started. In the next 30 minutes, we'll be discussing the big issues packed full of insights and ideas, some of which we hope you can take back to your business. Three sections in total, and first up is a look at disruption. What are the threats, and what will it take for companies to turn those threats into opportunities? Well, Rob, kick us off first of all. The threat of disruption, how much is it hype, and how much of it is reality, and, and should we be building you know, a stronger uncertainty or agility function into our business, whatever we work in? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely far from hype. I think disruption is the new normal. You know, We're living in the middle of the coronavirus threat to us right now. Um, But from a technology perspective, I think digital will continue to disrupt the organizations that we we work with every day. Um, You know, from a technology perspective, we will see analytics, we'll see blockchain, we'll see cognitive, we'll see cloud, we'll see all of these technologies coming uh, as a great opportunity for us. And I think what's going to be very important for us um, all is to think not just about any one technology, but how these technologies combine really to provide opportunity for our organizations. And um, and I think if we get that right, that combination of technologies, it really enables us to build that agility into the organization so that, so that we can flex to take advantage of these opportunities over the next few years. That's great. We're off the blocks already. You know, it is about being practical. It's not an easy job. This is a huge task, but we all know that disruption is absolutely part of our life. And actually, we kind of need to be at the head of it, Chris. Yeah, I I agree completely. And the reality is uncertainty is wreaking havoc in the the planning cycles. And that's really forcing companies to to really make decisions in real time. So if you take the global 2000 and beyond, uh, they're facing these constant challenges and these constant changes and disruptions. Mm. You know, tariffs are on, tariffs are off. Um, maybe they'll be enacted. You know, who knows? There's this back and forth on Brexit. We don't really know what that means. Then there's the unknowns. We didn't know about coronavirus uh, a couple of months ago. Um, but the real disruptors, I think, are from, from perhaps from our competition as companies and uh, our non-traditional 
competition like Amazon. Mm. You know, um, Amazon is 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 getting into lots of other people's businesses and causing disruption in that way. So how do you react to that? Well, let's let's talk. How do you do it? Let's do that straight away. There are so many different individual steps. I guess you've talked about the macro world, you know, the global pressures on a, on a business, um, which are clearly there. But actually, um, in order to be disruptive yourself or to be flexible and agile enough in the widest term to get this right, to move forward, to be able to flex and move, your people have to be on side. The technology has to be on side. You have to start to really think about what you as a business need to do next and factor that in and build that into your model, don't you? Yeah, I mean, if you've got a good model and and if you have digitally transformed, you can possibly move fast and react faster. Um, but the companies with the biggest advantage are the ones that can do scenario planning. And that's really sort of the ultimate stage of planning. So mm-hmm. thinking ahead, um, being agile enough as a company, so if this happens, then we know how to react. Mm-hmm. We can adjust our supply chain. We can you know adjust our sales focus. Um, so, so really it's about scenario planning. And, and I learned this um, you know, during my time at Concur, because when I was there, we had to face Brexit. And nobody was expecting the Brexit vote to go leave. Yeah. Um, but we did scenario planning that enabled us to make adjustments to the mm-hmm. business um, in the event of that of that no vote, um, and you know we 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 ride we rode, rode the storm. It was, it was fine in the end. Yeah, and I always think it's it's about being the best at being better. It's imagine, deliver, run in in little loops, um, and we like to talk about thinking big, starting small, and learning fast. Not the old-fashioned way of thinking big, starting big, and then learning slow, which was yeah. often the way business approached change in the past. Being nimble, you could learn a lot from the small players who are based on that. They don't have the infrastructure. They don't actually perhaps need the infrastructure. They are, by design, able to move and flex. So what proportion, Chris, do you need to get those right? So how much pre-planning and how much do you factor into your business? We are just an uncertain business and we will deal with it. Well, Rob's right in terms of you know what I call the fundamentals. Mm. You, you know, you you have to have sort of transparency across your business. You need to break down the silos. Um, you know, until you've got that transparency, you you can't even really plan in a meaningful way. In this context, breaking down silos, which are part technological, part location, yeah. but very much human as well, Rob. You know, how important would you put that as our point one of becoming? Uh, reactive to disruption or disruptive yourself, how important are silos to break down? Oh, absolutely. And I think it, it comes from from top down in an organization um, because um, it's often, we, we talk a lot about creating psychological safety within within an organization so that teams feel comfortable to collaborate with each other cross-function, cross-department, business and technology. So you need top-down to create an environment w- within which people can collaborate naturally together. And then and then a bottom-up as well, where people can uh, come up with ideas, can, um, can experiment, can have successes, can take on board feedback, and then create that loop of imagine, deliver, run, as I said before. Mm. Uh, we call it better value, sooner, safer, happier, BVSSH. So Rob, what do you think are the biggest disruptive trends at the moment? Are they... And, and, particularly for the boardroom. I mean, because that's essentially where these strategic uh, business model ideas come down from at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, one thing we, we talk a lot about at the moment is the three Ps. There's profits, there's people and there's planet. Um, 
I think from a, a profits perspective, it's always been the goal of our organizations to embrace these digital technologies to evolve the products and services that have been brought to the market to transform their organizations, to re- reduce cost, become more flexible. That's absolutely there. But we also need to absolutely care about our people. Uh, in Deloitte now, we we often, we, we, we now start measuring happiness and wellness as, mm. in addition to measuring utilization as being some of our key KPIs. And uh, I think that's very important when we're transforming organizations now and bringing in new technologies. You know, they need to be very user friendly so that people can have the same experience using systems and processes inside organizations as they do in their personal life. And the planet has become a huge priority for boardrooms now. It does seem, Chris, that there's, there's a bit of a tipping point here in terms of not just knowing the what, you know, what I do best, you know, my skills, my my workforce, what we are known for and have always been known for, but also the why. Yes, and we do see the talents out there in the, in the industry, and there is a war for talent um, at the moment, especially across the tech industry. People are interviewing us. They're saying, what tools are you using? What's your carbon footprint? Um, how many charity giving days are you going to give me so I can give back? Um, and, and then, um, obviously, our customers, they're asking the same kind of questions. Well, 10 years ago, somebody came to you and said, I'm sorry, I'm not sure I want to work for you because you don't have this ethical principle. Well, they'd have been left out of the room. Oh, absolutely. That's changed, right? Totally. I mean, uh, if I went back 20 years when I started working in Deloitte first, everybody wanted to become a partner. That was the objective. That's not the objective anymore. I spoke to maybe 500 of our uh, people in, in, in just the last six months. And number one was... People wanted to do work that matters. Number two, they wanted to work in an agile way. And then reward and progression was the third priority. It wasn't the first. So in terms of, um, I'm I'm an existing player in my market, and that could be anything from florist to financial services. um, And I'm feeling a little bit worried because there are disruptions in my market. Um, What do you think people feel most threatened by at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that people are most focused about is, is actually how they can pivot and move quickly as the world around them changes. I think that's probably the number one priority. It's not about pouring concrete on any particular end state anymore. Um, as we said earlier, a lot of my clients are CFOs in industries that are, are being disrupted. And they're going through a change at the moment now where they're replacing a lot of those horrible old legacy on-premise systems that you know, never really worked properly in the first place and with very bad data structures and broken processes and a horrible experience for people working inside the organization. They're starting to move those now to the cloud. They're embracing new digital technologies. They're building a new digital core inside the organizations. And they need to go about that in a way that is fundamentally building agility into the organization because that will be their superpower for the next 10 years, I think. So, Chris, let's get practical for a second. Uh, Are there certain industries that are or could suffer more than others from disruption? It's a great question. And uh, I I think disruption can happen anywhere. Um, The big banks, the big life sciences companies are being disrupted. You know, we we even call them challenger banks and and challenger pharma now. Uh, Payments in particular is being massively disrupted. Um, So so I think it can happen to to any industry. Um, But perhaps uh, B2C companies, so where there's a lot of consumers, um, that that's when you're going to see a, a massive disruption, and we've already seen it. Um, in some ways, the, you know, the gig economy itself has, has been driven by the Ubers, the Airbnbs, and those kind of outfits. Yeah. Um, some might say the you know that gig economy has has some good attributes. Um, it's a flexibility, um, but also some negative attributes in in terms of the economy yeah. and, and and people's well-being. Um, so I, I think there's there's room to innovate and be creative in in every single industry. And, and I would recommend that, that every single industry does think very long and hard about how they might be disrupted. 
um, you know, build some plans around that and do some scenario planning. Well, look, that's section one, a really good look at the the types of disruption, the big factors that can keep us up at night. Next, let's look at how to turn disruption from a threat into an opportunity. Okay, so we tend to think of market disruption as a threat, something to defend against, unless we're one of the disruptors, obviously. But let's not forget that anyone who's nimble enough to take in and apply new ideas that we've talked about and have genuine conversations with customers and their team, well, they'll always freshen up their product services and stay ahead by disrupting their own market. That's the principle of this game that we're in now. So, Rob, what do you think a truly agile company looks like in the nuts and bolts? Yeah, fabulous. I mean, I think a company that exhibits agility is one where people really recognize that work is emergent and, you know, not deterministic as it used to be. Because we're not in a world anymore where people are kind of mass producing cans of baked beans or anything like that. Well, some companies are, but not not the most. And so what we need to be doing now is kind of changing how organizations work to better suit that style of working. And we can see this in the shift from project to product, where we have long-lived, small, multidisciplinary teams who are working very closely together with customer at the center, where there's very few handoffs and there's a, a flow of safe value being added. And that, I think, is absolutely key. And if we can get the culture right in an organization, it really helps protect that agility. On that point, Chris, there is a feature of disruption in that essentially it breaks the relationship that you have with your customers. So if you don't have a very good relationship with your customer and you essentially getting it wrong, then that's where the disruption happens. I suppose that relationship here that we're talking about, not only with customers, but with the team internally, that's becoming much more important. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, what I think makes a truly agile company is is one that is truly connected uh, internally and, and with its customer base. Yeah. Um, you know, companies need to, to bring together people, data and plans to make, you know, at the end of the day, calculated decisions you know, much faster. Um, you know, true digital transformation requires sponsorship um, and participation at the highest levels, um, especially the C-suite, and it has to start there and and, and filter down through the organization. Um, and, it, and it works best when it's part of a basically a, a wider mm. you know, business transformation effort. Mm. You have to have a use case. You have to have benefits involved. And often that's going to be, you know, revenue and sales based uh, with the way that we've always worked. But Chris, you know, which areas of a business do you think can benefit? It could be anywhere. In, in the organization. But in reality, I, I guess the place where you have the most impact in most organizations is, is FP&A or the finance function. Um, that, that's where a lot of this transformation starts. And the companies that I've seen that have done this really, really well is when all the lines of business um, partner with FP&A mm. really effectively. And, uh, and that's when you get a real multiplier in terms of yeah, you know, these, these agile efforts. I agree. And, and, um, and it's funny because the world of digital has only really touched the front end of our clients' organizations, you know, the customer experience, the whole insides of the organization where Chris and I spend so much of our time, the COOs, the CFOs, the CIOs, you know, that that world is still trapped in the past. And the great thing is that all of the technologies and enablers are there now to truly digitally transform an organization. And I think one of the most important first steps is for people to imagine before they start delivering and running. Because the last time we did big change programs inside organizations, we didn't do change management. You know, everybody fought for the old. They didn't embrace the new. And I think that's a really important first step here is for all of our clients to start really immersing themselves in the future and really thinking about how these technologies can come together to transform Mm. and then properly uh, embarking on a program to do that, not, as we said earlier, in the 
big, massive, old-fashioned waterfall programmes. But that cycle of imagine, deliver, run, I think is absolutely key to this. Rob's talking about an imaginarium in the, in the office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, at the moment with uh, with all these disruptors and, and the most unexpected one, the coronavirus, it, it's, it's interesting for us in the technology sector because we can see some of the, the fruits of our efforts. So, you know, have a, we have customers in the Nordics um, that do things like seatbelt assemblies mm. um, and they supply a lot of the automotive industry in, in Europe. Luckily in China, their supply chain is coming back online. But because they're reasonably agile and connected to their, their clients in the automotive industry, certain production lines were slowed down mm. a little bit to, to, to cope with that. So, you know, real, real time changes um, and, and in planning because they're agile and they're connected. It's funny because I was I was working in, in the music industry when when it was disrupted back then and then working uh, with organizations in the last financial crisis and now uh, with coronavirus. It's amazing how finance comes to the front daily sales forecasting, daily cost-based forecasting to enable executives to take the right actions in often very difficult, very emotional times. Mm. I can tell you from the, you know, from the, uh, the wilds of the gig economy um, that a network is really important, a network of good people, of partners. That, that glue is possibly the most important thing. It's not necessarily their skills from day to day. It's the ability to tap into pools mm. and for that relationship and, and also quality control is very important between partners. Yeah, that, that's right. And um, if I may turn that on its head, so I just talked about some of the positive attributes that, that we've seen um, in response to some of the disruptors. Um, there are other organizations that, that perhaps aren't as agile, aren't reacting because they're of the old mindset, which is data and knowledge is power. Mm. Uh, it's in silos across a business. Um, and and you know that's just not the way the world works anymore. Yeah. You, you know the, the the one system of record, um, you know complete transparency between lines of business and and the, those silos. Yeah. Once you have that, then you can plan, you can be agile. Um, but that, that's a cultural thing, and and some companies you know are, are moving towards their new modern culture, yeah. and and some have some challenges. But in terms of continuity, not necessarily business continuity, Rob, but the continuous need to monitor and learn and do things differently or be flexible. How important is that to any business in any industry? Oh, I, I think it's it's massively important. Um, and it's that not letting great get in the way of good thing as well. I mean, I remember working with airlines a number of years ago uh, at the time of the last financial crisis and you would have one airline. So route profitability is the key to success in an airline. It's understanding how your routes are doing day in, day out. One airline took a roughly right approach, you know, They'd get the costs roughly allocated overnight. They'd get the revenue roughly allocated overnight. The next day, they knew how they were doing market by market. Another airline, it was taking them 13 weeks to to get everything perfect, Mm. uh, by which time they were dead in the market. And at a time like this, you can see it all over the newspapers right now with with airlines in particular, uh, they're going to need to have that information at their fingertips so they can do all of this scenario planning. They can take the right management actions uh, in order to, you know, minimize the risks and maximize the opportunity over the next few weeks. This is uh, this feeds into data. Um, How how do you uh, really start to harness insights from your data, Chris, but quickly? So to really use your data in a way that can help your business from day to day to respond, to flex, to move, to be uh, essentially disruptive. Yeah, the, 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 the thing is to, to bring all of the data in, into one place. Um, a, a lot of companies have, have done a fantastic job at transforming themselves using point solutions. So, you know, there's a lot of SaaS and cloud providers for, you know, human capital management, you know, CRM, um, expense management. Um, so, so that's good, but, but you're creating more silos when you do that. Yeah. If, if you can bring all that data into one place, understand uh, the, the, the relationship between the different data points, um, th- then you can do some modeling. 
uh, and and you can actually understand the, the relationships um, that, that are within your organization um, that you may have been completely ignorant about be, be, before you've put everything in one place. So, you know, that's what we see. And, and one, of, one of the ways that um, one of the, the great benefits of doing that is when you're doing your planning and your scenario planning, you, you can actually do it because, you, you know, it's surprising, you know, the, the impact of, of a supply chain issue um, you know, on F- FP&A or on sales or on support calls. So that, that truly connected um, planning scenario um, is where people can really benefit their customers. Right. Yeah. And from a from a talent perspective, it's really interesting. We were looking at some job specs for the FP&A function that Google had been putting out in the market recently and comparing them to some of the traditional FP&A job specs. Traditional FP&A job specs would be looking for things like a chartered accountant with mm. Excel skills, etc. Google were looking for storytellers and data scientists. And it's a, it's a totally different skill set and not one I think that the professions have necessarily developing the talent for. So you were speaking earlier about how we get access to some of the young talent who are brilliant with technology naturally. And they're the people that I think we really should be embracing for, for this role going forward. Mm. I was with uh, Deloitte and uh, one of our mutual sort of supermarket um, clients uh, the other day. Uh, and it was a bunch of FP&A folks who sort of they understand this. I mean, planning and modeling is sort of part of their, their day job. Um, and, and they asked us the question, well, wh- where would you go you know, with with connected planning and and more agility, you, you know, which part of the business, and, and we put it straight back at them. I said, you know, who would you wish in your organisation would actually be better at planning, more organised, less siloed? Uh, you know, let let's let's partner with you and go there first. Yeah. Any thoughts or ideas or models that have started to work in terms of agility? Any any thoughts, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I um, I'm working with an organisation at the moment that is going through that massive digital transformation of its finance function. But what they're not doing is that classic waterfall approach of this is going to cost billions and um, and it's going to be design and then build and then test and then we have a big go live. They've set a vision for themselves, which is absolutely clear. They've got a clear architecture. But what they're doing is um, they're taking an agile approach. They're smashing down the barriers. So they've got business and technology working well together. And they are, they're creating milestones. So they're saying, you know, by this date, let's achieve this. By this date, let's achieve this. And they're they're adding value back to the business. And instead of waiting for the new system with the new chart of accounts, they're just saying, let's take this light touch technology. Let's just stick it on our data today. Let's have a look. What's it telling us? Mm. What do we learn? And that way, everything is much more practical. And... Um, and there's no change fatigue because if there's change fatigue, it just basically means you're doing things the wrong way in the first place. So um, it's uh, it's lively. It's, it's got momentum. Nobody's worried about failing and then losing their jobs and all of that sort of stuff. It's, uh, it's just very, very positive. And I'm, I'm very happy with, with the progress that they're making. That sounds great. That milestone mm-hmm. approach, but also just that that um, that freedom yeah. and, and the, the, the lack of fear of failure in many ways, because you're not putting too much weight on, on one particular project or one particular team who's trying this piece of software out, for example. Chris, what do you think? You know, practically, what do I do as an organization that wants to become more nimble? That's a good example. Any other thoughts of the way of doing it? There's the, this, the, the cultural aspects, which, which we sort of talked about. It has to be driven from the top. Um, you, you need change agents. Uh, you, you need a, a amazing change management, um, which, which obviously is an exercise in planning in itself. Um, the, the companies that, are, that I think are doing really well at the moment are, are probably quite large companies that we might use the, uh, the oil tanker analogy for, but they're surrounding their oil tanker with speedboats. Okay. Um, so, you know, you might be doing a massive transformation in, in your back-end technology. Um, but there are so many other technologies around the edges that, that can add massive time to value. 
um, and and give you the appearance of of, of basically being agile, mm-hmm. being responsive, doing that scenario planning um, without actually you know, hitting your core. Um, and this is the the challenge of large organisations, right? They, they've got a legacy yeah. that they've got to move forward. Um, the nice thing about SaaS and uh, and APIs and then the new technology stack yeah. and the new platform vendors um, is, is that they can have their cake and eat it. They can be agile. They can look like a speedboat whilst navigating their oil tanker. Now that's the quote. That's the quote for this podcast. You can look like a speedboat while navigating your oil tanker. I think that's the direct quote. Um, but as as that journey happens, look, it, you know, I don't want to put a downer on this but of course if you're doing really well and these things are starting to work on your systems and your ways of working with new technologies for example and the way people work together is really working hey we're in the wind it's fantastic what are the pitfalls to avoid to be complacent rob what do you think well i mean i think we've we've started to list some of those pitfalls already i mean i think uh, the, the the classic one is the one of of needing to be certain about everything up front and needing to know exactly how much it's going to cost and the impact on the business and everything else that's just a complete fallacy and it doesn't exist um so so that's about taking the the agile approach uh, i think making sure from the start that those um those partitions aren't in place in an organization embarking on a big change program. Um, so if technology is one, in one camp and the business is in another camp, you're just never going to make progress. And uh, and and big, the, the classic red brick organizations we spoke about earlier, you know, those partitions are there and they're often the result that programs fail because each side is, is it doesn't want to be the one to drop the ball. So I think getting, getting those teams together from the start is absolutely critical. What else would I say? I, I think the other thing I would say is organizations should learn from each other and spend more time together because um you know the, the the big tech providers have have put out deadlines by which a lot of the old ERP platforms etc have to move to the new um, cloud-based products and therefore a lot of organizations are kind of approaching this change at roughly the same sort of time so so it's good to have that network in in other businesses and and, and to learn from each other that's what I would say so Chris any uh, any organizations companies that you can identify who have not only started turning that ship around but thrown out plenty of speedboats <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, I'm, let me have a think about that. I think the I want to choose a company that that everyone should know, um, Del Monte. Um, those of us of my age can remember their amazing adverts back in the 1980s. Um, so they're a company founded in in 1886. Um, so interestingly enough, they they are the source of 20% of the world's pineapple supply. Wow. Um, I didn't know that no. until I met them. Um, so a truly global business, um, one that involves a lot of complexity. Um, so up until a few years ago, uh, they were running their supply chain uh, modeling on a ton of spreadsheets. So it, it took them weeks to do the planning process end to end, which is obviously not fast enough when you've got that kind of industry. You know, a, a storm can blow up and destroy you know half the crop in one part of the world yeah. and, and, and possibly cause problems on the other side of the world uh, in terms of supply. Um, the, the the real thing that that made them really move and think about the need to be more agile was was one of the El Nino events, um, and and that that made them look at their planning process. Um, so they moved towards a more connected planning process, and uh, they they brought all of their sources of of data into one place. Uh, they did the cultural shift, so that you know there weren't any silos. Everyone shared the data with everyone else, pulled it into a model, and that the consequence of that was that they they cut their supply chain planning process from two weeks down to two days. Um, and they reduced the time it took to react to changes in the supply chain, like weather events, um, from five days to five minutes. Wow. So uh, that's a pretty you know fundamental shift they made. Mm. And, and those changes have enabled them now to respond to other disruptors, like, like competitive events, 
So what started as a, as a necessity because of you know global weather patterns has uh, made them more competitive going forward. All it took was for the women and men at Del Monte to say yes. <laughs> That's all I've got. I'm sorry about that. Okay, so the final part of our discussion today is all about implementation. How can companies transform their approaches, whatever the industry, to make agility a central part of their operating model? So, Chris, kick us off. What um, internal hurdles need to be jumped, first of all, to, to create that, that agile approach in the broadest sense? Yeah, so being a technologist, you might expect me to say um, processes or systems or technology, um, and that's, that's there, but it's not the priority. The priority is, is, is culture. So for some that might sound surprising, but uh, but I think that the culture is probably the most important success factor uh, when doing this, uh, because connected data plans depend on having a collaborative culture where information is shared and transparent. Uh, you know, and and the, the reality is, if if you've got silos where data and knowledge is power, not to be shared with your peers across the business, because you know you know you might lose your internal competitive advantage. You're never going to get anywhere. So let's recap. We've got silos. These can be broken down. We've talked culture. You've done that again right now. The people are so important. Infrastructure is less important. People and agility in the broadest sense is more important. Is that what you see, Rob? Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, I think it's just as Chris said. So it's it's top down and it's bottom up. I mean, if it's just top down, then you get that kind of inflict over invite, which is not good for motivation and buy-in. If it's bottom-up alone, you, and we see lots of bottom-up agile stuff happening in organizations, but it gets to a kind of a ceiling yeah. beyond which it, can, it, can, it can't make progress. So, so you need the senior support to create an environment within which it can be successful. And my advice is always just start with a slice of the organization where you get the top-down and the bottom-up working well together. You invite participation and, uh, and you create that, um, that safe-to-learn environment where people can um, can make use of these technologies and other enablers to, to add value to the organization. And then that creates momentum and then others will want, will want more of it naturally. Mm. Perfect, Chris. Yeah, that, that education point is, is key. You, you know, in, in these organizations that are doing this well, everybody is a change agent and, and everybody possibly has had some education and some training about how you might feel, um, you, you know, and how you might cope with, with change because change isn't for everyone. No. Um, so, so education is very key. Um, and, and then it's important for everyone to know who, who's actually responsible for across the company for this transformation. So uh, we're seeing new job titles coming up, like you know, chief planning officer, um, and and you know, champions in each department. Um, you know, al- aligns and, and and working together in, in unison. As we change to the cloud and we start bringing in other technologies where cognitive meets RPA, etc., we really have a transformation opportunity, mm. particularly when we think about it end to end, instead of anybody just trying to transform their own little bit. It's a combination of having real control, real understanding of what your business is and what it needs to do for your customers and for your team, a real understanding and that pre-planning that you were talking about, Chris, but the way you do it can be flexible. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that is correct. And if if you take most people's digital transformation efforts um, to date, um, that they they've been in in finance, in HR, in sales. You, you know, there's a huge number of really good SaaS and, and cloud platforms for that. Um, but if you go back to the fundamentals of a business and and the the, the system of record, um, what what that digital transformation effort has done is 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 create you know multiple systems of record. Um, you know, and we don't want to go too much deep in the technology, but you know, you, you, you've got, you know, um, hyperdimensional um, in-memory databases now that, that can pull all this data in, mm. and and actually create that 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 sy- single system of record. Um, and for planning purposes, 
when you have all that data in one place, um, it, it makes life a, a, lot, a lot simpler. You raise a very important point there, which is, you know, we don't want to go into too much technical detail here. Now, that's true because of our time, but actually, isn't it important that the whole organization has that human touch, that people are working well together and so on, but they do have a grasp of the technology, they have a grasp of the business and what we're trying to do. Now, that's mm-hmm. a very important communications piece, but also a skills piece, isn't it, Rob? Oh, absolutely right. Um, and... Uh, and what we're trying to help organizations think about at the moment is almost um, you might have your traditional career paths for finance, say, or cr- traditional career paths for technology. Um, but one organization, which would be very London centric, is talking to us at the moment of why don't we down in Bristol? Why don't we just build a new team where we get bring in people maybe straight from school and um, and we just infuse them with these digital technologies and just get them playing on scenarios completely divorced from the mothership. And it's the point you made earlier on about the speedboats alongside the uh, the oil tankers, uh, just to create a different talent pool uh, to to enable us to uh, to make to make best use of these technologies in a safe way. Now, now as a business person, y- you can do what if scenarios. And not worry about the back end, mm. you know. Not worry about the technology. Mm. So, so the, the the speed of thought and that agile in decision making, you know, is is now actually in the hands of the mm. business folks. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that's a huge leap forward over the last decade. Can I just ask a question? I mean, we're talking about business models in this case, but what what I'm seeing is and hearing is that there isn't really just one business model. The you know, a, again, a rigid what the way we work is not actually relevant. In a disruptive well you know way. what you're absolutely right about that and i um i remember maybe i was, did a lot of work with video games companies at the point at which the, the physical video games were moving into digital and there was a lot of bundled product where you might bundle a, a, a platform with digital games with devices and all kinds of things and uh, it was just as chris was talking about there you know the relationship between the business and technology was very old-fashioned which was you must specify a requirement and then i will build and then you will test and if there is any changes that's your fault not my fault and we kept saying listen the humans can specify the requirements here. The data is telling the truth because that's what people were actually buying out in the market. So you needed to have everyone together solving the challenges and not blaming each other just because they weren't able to perfectly represent what a customer might want to buy. Let's um, Before we do close up today, let's talk about a couple of practical steps, bringing um, the senior executives, keeping them abreast of the technological and the, the business model changes uh, how do you get people across this stuff so that you can successfully move forward? I would say they need to be focused on um, the, the trends in their industry. You know, they need to be focused on you know, you know how are, how are people buying differently? You know, how are their customers changing? And and just just be very mindful of of every single disruptor, even disruptors of outside of your industry, mm. just to give you that high level, I, I guess, imagination. And, and thinking, and and know that the, there are companies out there and technologies out there that, that that will enable you to make the changes required. I think that's absolutely right, and I, I think that's that's essential. I think there's also kind of uh, cultural and and emotional aspects to leadership that are going to be required uh, to successfully navigate this too. Um, I mean, one program we have in Deloitte at the moment is a, is a reverse mentoring program. It's, it may, may sound sort of obvious, but uh, I met with my reverse mentor, Ruby, on Friday and, and she's an analyst in our business and uh, she just gives me a very different insight to what people are thinking about in our organisation and how I should articulate things. So Chris, any, any final thoughts and comments? Yeah, I, I take inspiration for some, for some great industry leaders of the past. So uh, when I first started out in business, you know, I was a great follower of Jack Walsh um, and, and then John Chambers. So these are two individuals that, that, that weren't exactly tardy in, in their approaches to change. 
Um, and, and I've been lucky enough to, to, to meet them both. And, and what they would say is um, they wish they'd have moved even faster. So, so my advice is, is speed is essential. So, so regardless of the industry or the planning and decision-making function, um, there's one goal in mind that they should have, which is to reduce the latency between analysis, decision, and direction change. If they can do that and move fast, uh, they'll just be fine. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for. I do hope that you've enjoyed the session, that you found Rob and Chris's insights really useful. I found it fascinating and picked up some ideas that uh, will hopefully help your business to take advantage of industry disruption wherever you are. Now, if this conversation sparked your interest and you'd like to hear more, just head to anaplan.com to see how the world's leading companies are getting ahead of disruption and uncertainty with a digital operating model. Well, it only remains for me to say a big thanks to Rob and to Chris for joining us here and to Anaplan for supporting our podcast. We hope you can join us again for the next Market Force Live podcast. Until then, bye-bye and thanks for listening. <laughs>